Well, if you missed last week, it was church at home from our future home on Hamilton Road. And we introduced where we're going to be headed in the Word of God at the beginning of this year. And that is the book of Daniel. But don't turn to the book of Daniel because we've got to have this message before we step forward in the narrative that is the book of Daniel. Here's why. We're talking about spiritual formation this year. What does it mean to over time become more and more like Jesus? And what we said last week, we'll put this on the screen, is that all of us are going to be formed this year. We will either be conformed to the world around us or be transformed by the word within us. You know, Romans chapter 12 says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All of us by the end of this year will look different than the people who are sitting here right now. And that formation will either be confirmation to what culture says and what the world says and everything that's pushing against you in our day, or it will be transformation to look more like Jesus over time by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that depends on whether or not the deciding factor of your formation is the world around you or the word within you. So why, when we're doing a series on spiritual formation and we're doing a series about becoming fully committed followers of Jesus, why in the world would we do a series on Daniel? And the reason is because when Daniel and his friends were taken into Babylon in exile, and the story that we're going to read, so heartbreaking, so tragic, so difficult, there was a formation that happened. And almost every person who got taken up from Jerusalem and taken captive in Babylon, they conformed. They became Babylonian. They served Babylonian gods. They ate the diet of the Babylonians. They walked in the ways of the Babylonians. They moved on from who their God, Yahweh, the true God, actually called them to be. But Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood against that. And in the midst of a culture that said, you are now this, they literally changed their names to try to change their identity. What was it about these guys that formed them so deeply that when culture was pushing everyone around them to walk away, they pressed in even more, and they became the remnant of God in their day that preserved the people of God in a time of so much heartbreak and difficulty. So the vision of this series is that you and I would be formed into the image of Christ, not on the surface, but at a deep level, so that even if everything around us fell apart, even if our culture has moved on into post-Christianity, even if the world tells us that what we're talking about is obsolete and meaningless, we're able to stand. And my prayer coming into this year has been Paul's prayer over the church in Galatia. In Galatia you don't have to turn there. It's Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. Paul made this statement. He said, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, if you've never read Galatians, Paul is fired up. This is a church that he founded who's walking away from the truth of the gospel to walk in old patterns and old ways, proving themselves to God through their works instead of accepting the grace of God that's given in Jesus. And he says, my children, who I am again in the pains of childbirth. Now, for a single guy, that's a bold statement. He's like, I feel like I'm having a baby. And all the moms in the room go, no, you don't. Paul, you do not understand what that is like. And he's going, no, spiritually speaking, I feel the deepest level of pain because my want and my angst for you is that Christ would be formed in you. And coming into 2022, and as we look forward to the future of this church, you need to know that is the vision and the agenda of Auburn Community Church for your life. 
There are so many stories in this room and so many church backgrounds and just differentiation of how long people have been following Jesus. There are some of you in this room who this is your first time in church and the stuff that we're singing about God, day and night, let incense arise. What is this? Some kind of Eastern? Like what is happening right now? What is incense? And why are we wanting it to rise to God in this moment? And there's some of you who have followed Jesus and been faithful church attenders for so long, but passion for God has grown so distant from you. I I don't know where you are in your journey, but I know we have a lot of different ones at this church. You just need to know the agenda is that Christ would be formed in you. We are not out to make you copy and paste a brand that is a church. We're not out to gain Instagram followers. We're not out to put out the, the... look of a band or a speaker that the world would go, ooh, that church is cool. We are out to make sure Christ is formed in every individual who has been entrusted to our leadership. I'm dead serious. There was a time where this wasn't true, but it is true at 33 years old in 2022. All I care about is that Christ is formed in you. If you don't know him, I want you to know him. If you do know him, I want you to grow in him. If you are growing in him, I want you to have more of God because you can always have as much of God as you are willing to make room for. And so this year we're going to make room for God to form something in us so deep. And I believe for every single situation, for every single individual, there's something so good that God has to teach you. And so what was it for Daniel and those guys that we can emulate today? What was it that formed them so deeply? Well, bad news, Daniel never tells us. There's never a moment in the 12 chapters of Daniel where he just goes, you want to know why? We held on to God. You want to know why we stayed true to our faith? Here's why. He never gives us that. But when you read the context of the Old Testament and the other stories that were going on leading up to Daniel getting taken into exile in Babylon, you read that Daniel is one generation removed from a massive revival that happened under a king named King Josiah. If you've never heard that name, you need to read the Old Testament. Because there's some powerful stories about kings of Israel who set their sights on God and obey God and see God do miracles in their day. And Josiah is at the top of the list of God doing a powerful work and idols being destroyed and God being glorified. But here's what happened. Josiah's era came to an end, an abrupt ending, right before Israel was taken into exile in Babylon. But it had an effect. It had an effect on the parents of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what you're going to see in the passage we're going to look at today is that sometimes when revival breaks out, there's something so much bigger going on than what's happening in an individual moment. And that's why the title of this message, kind of the subtitle of this series, is called Children of Revival. Children of Revival. A lot of times when a major event happens... The severity of its impact is seen in the aftermath more than it's seen in the individual moment. For example, I truly believe that the effects of COVID will far outlast the existence of a virus. I believe that what happened on a mental health level, on a spiritual health level around our world is something that will reverberate potentially for generations of impact to come. You know when something happens and it's like, that's a big deal, but it's really what happened after the event that led to a series of a domino effect that you're like, wow, that was so impactful, but it couldn't have even really been seen at the time how much that was going to impact what was coming later. That's what children of revival means. 
I believe when God brings a massive move of the Holy Spirit, it's about more than emotional feelings during worship songs and moments of closeness with God that we have together where he feels so intimate. Those are awesome. But the after effect that we're believing for is for a generation that rises up with faith in light of what God is doing. And I believe that is what God is doing right here. And so we're not looking at Daniel. We're looking at what sets up Daniel. If you brought your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up. 2022. How many of you got a new Bible? Love it. Hold it up. Oh, man, 9 a.m., just killing it. Hold it up in Birmingham. We see you guys in Lake Martin. We see the, 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 the watch party, just a few people, but the watch party that has broken out in Huntsville. We're pumped that you guys are joining us as well. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Kings chapter 22. And you might spend the rest of the sermon searching for 2 Kings, so do not be ashamed if you have to use the table of contents. 2 Kings is close to the beginning of your Bible. And it is the story of the kings of Israel from David all the way to the exile in Babylon. First and second kings, very similar to first and second chronicles. In my opinion, the most underrated books of the Old Testament are first and second kings. I read these stories of the people of God and their own inconsistency, all depending on the leader who's in place, whether or not he's bowed and surrendered to God. And I get so many life lessons from First and Second Kings. In fact, there are some books of the Bible that I will go five, six, seven years without ever reading. Every year I try to read First and Second Kings. If you're a leader, particularly in business or a mom who leads a home, you need the lessons that come from First and Second Kings. Because it's all about how spiritual leadership impacts the next generation that's growing up. And in 2 Kings chapter 22, we get this account of the life of a king named Josiah, who becomes king when he's just eight years old. 2 Kings chapter 22. Some of y'all still turning. It's a journey, right? If you're there, say I'm there. Let's read some verses. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidiah, daughter of A. I practiced this all week, and in the moment I can't say it. Adaiah, that's how you say it. Adaiah. She was from Boscath, in case you were wondering. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. If this is your first time opening first or second kings, this is standard. At the beginning of describing a king's reign, the writer will tell you, this is the person who became king, and whether or not they followed the ways of the Lord or whether or not they fell back until the, into the sins of their fathers and served idols. And for Josiah, this is a rare statement. It was rare for a king to rise up who didn't turn to the right or to the left. But of all the kings who this is said about, I believe it is the most true about Josiah. It says this, in the 18th year of his reign, so he's 26 years old, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the temple of the Lord. He said, go up to Hilkiah the priest and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple and have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are honest in their dealings. Here's what's happening. We read more in 2 Chronicles about how Josiah is destroying the idols that are set to serve other gods. And in the midst of going out and destroying idols, he's rebuilding the temple. Why? Because the state of the temple always reflected the state of God's people, spiritually speaking. 
And he's going, we have gone way too long without taking care of this space that's intended to worship God. So he sends his secretary, says, go to Hilkiah, the high priest at the time, and tell him to pay these workers. And tell him, don't even worry about creating an account for how many supplies you brought. We trust you to do the work. We will pay you whatever you ask. What does that tell you? It tells you Josiah is in a hurry to get this thing built. He's going, let's just build this thing. They're honest in their dealings. Go there, tell Hilkiah, push this thing further. We got to rebuild the temple of God to serve our God. Now watch what happens in verse 8. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan, the secretary, went to the king and reported to him, your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Now, verse 10. This is where if you're watching a movie, time stands still, everything goes silent. Listen to this. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king. Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. Now, if you're reading that in passing, it doesn't seem that important. But the rebuilding of the temple is going on. The destruction of idols is happening. And all of a sudden, there's this priest named Hilkiah. That's an important name. Who goes, also, as, as we're rebuilding this temple, I found this, uh, this book. Now, scholars debate what book was this. Is this the whole Torah, first five books of the Old Testament? Is this just Deuteronomy? But we do know that whatever is in this book is the instructions for how the covenant people of God, Israel, are intended to live set apart from other nations around them. This is the book of the law. This is the book that shows the people of God who came out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land how they are intended to live as a beacon of light for the world to know that there is a God and he is the God of Israel. Hilkiah has given me a book. Hilkiah is a significant name, like I said, because you find out later that he has a son who becomes a priest, and his son's name will be Jeremiah. We found this book, and he reads it in the presence of the king of Israel. Verse 11, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam son of Shaphan, Akbor son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Azaiah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Of all the moments where the people of God returned to God in the Old Testament, this one is different. Because this one is founded by the rediscovery, reading, and application of the Word of God. They're rebuilding the temple, they're destroying idols. You got a righteous king who's returning the hearts of the people at 26 years old to God. But the hinge point of the story of Josiah's generation was we found this book. And when the book is read in the presence of the king, it says he tore his robes. In the Old Testament, that was symbolic of grieving. That was symbolic of I'm not okay. This is not okay. And he says, great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because the stuff that we were instructed to do is collecting dust in the temple that we forgot about. So go and inquire of the Lord for me. What does that mean? That means he's sending them into the presence of God to find out what they should do next. 
And his heart is totally bent before the Lord going, the word of God has cut me to my core. And not just cut me, but cut our people. Because it doesn't matter how many idols we destroy. And it doesn't matter how fast we rebuild this temple. If we don't get our lives reoriented around what is written in the book that gives life and freedom, we got no shot. And so they inquire of the Lord. And God says, there's still disaster coming to Israel. Our God is a God of mercy, but our God is a God who will punish the guilty. And Israel has sinned against God for generations. And I'm not talking about every once in a while. They cheated on a test or stole something insignificant from their neighbor. I'm talking about generations of idol worship that sometimes looked like sacrificing their own children in fires. And the anger of the Lord has boiled over, but he says, I will not punish my people in your generation because of this. But even in response to that, go down to 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 1. This is what happens, and this is what I want us to see. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah in Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which has been found in, had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. This is renewal in light of the word of God. What happens? Josiah says, get all the people together, all the people of Judah. Let's meet at the temple of the Lord. Let's all read this book and recommit ourselves to living as the people of God, getting instructed by the book of the covenant, and then responding accordingly. Now, everybody look up here. This is what I've waited seven months to tell you. On the surface, this looks like a decent moment in Israel's history. They got a righteous king returning them to the ways of God. They're rebuilding the temple. And now they've rediscovered the book of the law and they want to live according to the ways of God. Awesome. But 25 years after this moment, still, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon will roll up and besiege Jerusalem and take the nobles with him and rape the women and take children. I mean, it is bad what they were doing. And that's still going to happen. And so when you look on the surface, this looks like a fleeting moment of faithfulness to God that's really not that important until you go back and discover who was there when the book of the law was being read. Go back to chapter 23, verse 1. It says, he, was up, he went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets. Watch this. All the people from the least to the greatest. This is five years before Daniel is born. Do you want to guess what tribe Daniel was born into? Judah. Do you want to guess what tribe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are born into? Judah. All of their parents are standing in this moment under this king's leadership returning and committing themselves to living as people of the covenant of God. And I believe it is this movement that formed Daniel's parents, and it's this movement that led to a Jewish boy growing up to hold on to his faith 
that his God is the only true God to remain faithful to. And in this moment, the most powerful thing is not even what happens the moment they read it. It's what happens in the aftermath of this moment because children of revival were born who would grow up to become the remnant of God in the darkest days of the Babylonian exile. Jeremiah's dad is the one finding the book of the law. Daniel and his friends, Isaiah will be coming up at this time. In fact, he was already in place. These are some of the biggest names in the entire Old Testament. Why would God do something this significant? Because he was raising up this group to sow a seed in a generation that would remain faithful to God at the most pivotal point in Israel's history at the time. Miles, why in the world are we talking about the setup of Daniel to start 2022? Because I believe at Auburn Community Church right now, something bigger is happening here than just us meeting and me talking about this. And I'm not Josiah, and I'm not trying to say, oh, we're reliving this day. No, I'm just asking the question, could it be that maybe the most powerful thing that comes from a movement like the one we're a part of is the generation that's coming after us? Could it be that what we model about God and about church becomes what they believe about God and about church? Could it be that for some of us, our casual treating of God and our attendance of church that's really based on whether or not we're in town or our kids have more, something more important to do, could, could that end up impacting how serious they take God? Could our worship actually be something that a generation grows up going, this is unadulterated praise of God. And if they get formed so deeply, I don't think it's an accident that God is rising in this place the way that he's doing in the day that we live in. It's not an accident that just earlier this week, there was 55,000 18 to 25-year-olds at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia, calling on God to do what only he can do. And it's not an accident that at our point in history where COVID has ravaged through the entire world, but at the same time in our country, we got political tension, we got racial tension, we got difficulties all around, we got anger, we got angst, we got anxiety and depression on the rise. Like seriously, we use this term a lot, but seriously, statistically, like never before. It's not an accident that we are positioned where we are, a church with thousands of 18 to 25 year olds and a church where it seems like every other month we have a baby dedication where 10 more babies have been born. Are your eyes open to the fact that maybe this isn't about, oh, cool, God's doing something nice in Auburn, Alabama in our day. So glad I get to attend. This isn't about me bolstering us up to go, look at how awesome our church is. This is about me going, are your eyes open to maybe the fact that we're supposed to raise up a remnant of Jesus followers in this church who will respond to how we treat God spiritually in their day that might be getting worse. Some of y'all, your worst nightmare is what, what's happening in our country right now. And you're going, our kids are about to grow up in a world that has rejected God, in a country that's moving on. Just our neighbors to the north, just this week, Canada will pass legislation that will make it illegal, literally jail time, five years, to preach a biblical perspective on sexuality. That goes into place this week. You look around what's happening in our country, you look around what's happening politically, and I know for a lot of you, you're going, I don't want this for my kids. What if God is positioning our church to raise up a generation that's going to stand in faithfulness to God in a difficult day like Daniel and his boys? What if it does get worse? 
What if it does get harder? What if we thought being a Christian was difficult in our day and what they have to face is 20 times more difficult? Well, then they better be formed at a deeper level than going to church once a month and youth camp every other year. They better be formed in their home and be formed by people all around them with a deeper sense of commitment to God than what a lot of us grew up with. I believe that's the why. That's why God has positioned us where we are. And maybe waking up to the fact that what we're doing is not even about us will awaken an unadulterated worship of God and a focus on what we're doing to do this at a deeper level of commitment to him. It's not an accident that we're where we are. And it's not an accident that you're even here in this room hearing this message right now. So I'm thinking about this almost all year last year, children of revival, children of revival. Oh, wow, God could be raising up a generation of kids at this church and college students at this church, but he could also be retroactively changing generations through the oldest people in this church. Slayton, I know you had a birthday this week. Was it, is it 92, 93, 94? 94, all right, he's on the front row and we we're watching God. We're watching God change generations through his life. This isn't about one group of people at a certain age. This is about the people of God being awakened in their day. So I'm thinking about this all year long, but then I saw it. I saw a picture when we were in here in October. Do y'all remember that Sunday we had where we put the stage in the middle of the room? And, and y'all came in here and looked more disoriented and borderline angry than you ever have before. It's like we took away your childhood. It was like, oh, they moved the stage. I don't know where I'm going to sit now. This is crazy. What angle is that? This is insane. Seriously, I was just standing back there watching people walk through the door. And it wasn't like, ooh, an excitement. Like, we do the same thing every week. It's cool. We get to do something new. Some of you are so set in your ways that that still bothers you when that Sunday gets talked about. And you know, I'm so stubborn as a leader. You know what that's going to make us do? Do it again. So just watch out. It's coming. So we did this Sunday, we talked about breaking the jar and, and, and we're worshiping, but it was cool because you could kind of take in the full scene of worship that was happening. Well, that same day, our oldest daughter, Aniston, was not feeling good, but like not, not feeling terrible, like good enough to stay with mom in church, but not, didn't need to be in ACC Kids that morning. 2021, y'all pray for us. If, if 2021 had one word for me, the word was sickness. And nobody tells you this when you have children, you get all the sicknesses that they get at their school or childcare. I mean, it's like one person in our family sneezes or coughs and we're like, great, month gone. Like th this is, no one tells you that when you have kids, just be ready for that. And, um, and, and so she's not feeling good, but we're not gonna put her in kids. And so Courtney tells her, you can come just sit with me in church. I'll hold you, I'll stand with you the whole time. Well, Courtney and Aniston end up sitting right here. I think, I think it was like right here on the stage or on this stage and these stages right over there. And someone from our team pulled their phone out and filmed this scene during worship. And all of a sudden, what I was seeing on paper of children of revival, they will believe about God, what we model about God. It started becoming real in a picture right in front of my eyes. I want to show you that video right now. And as you watch this video, I just want you to watch Aniston's eyes taking in. She's got like college students all around her worshiping. She's taking in the scene of worship, but yet she's holding hands with her mom who's worshiping. Just watch this scene and then we'll talk about it.
here's, here's what I want you to see. You can see through her eyes and senses formation happening in real time. You can see, okay, this is what church is. And this is, I mean, she's four years old right here. This is, this is what they do in here. This is what college looks like. This is, and, and, and all of these factors from ACC kids to people all around, I'm looking at the fact that our kids are going to grow up in a church where people are overwhelmingly serious about worshiping Jesus and growing in who he is. What if we took that to a whole nother level in understanding that what's happening here is not about us checking the box that we enjoy church counting some kind of statistics that we grew a church or something like that? What if it was more about keeping our eyes open to the measurements that really matter, which is our disciples being formed over time because of what we're modeling about God? And I'm not calling some of you to to worship God more passionately because there's kids in the room watching. That's not the message. I'm calling all of us to open our eyes to the fact that we have been entrusted with something that might be stewarded better if we let it go. And we just say, God, whatever my part is to play, I want to grow and I want to be a part of the remnant. So some of you might be visiting today, you're like, this is totally irrelevant for me because I don't go to this church. You're right. We're glad you're here. But if <laughs> it's like, I don't have anything to say to that. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you learn a lot. But this is uh, it's for people who call this space home. And, I, and we did this on this Sunday for a reason because a, a, a lot of people are coming into town over the next couple of weeks. Like in, in a major way, a lot of you live in Auburn. You're part of our faith family. You're committed to being here. And I just want to ask us, are we really committed to saying yes to all God has called us to in our day? And are we committed to doing what we saw in Josiah's time, which led to the Daniels of the world rising up? I love this series artwork, and I love what's in the lobby, too, by the way. Just unbelievable. College student who came through our church painted those in, like, two days. Um, If you're in Birmingham, you need to come check it out. Or we'll put a picture of it on social media. But here's what's cool is that this guy, this was a literal photo shoot at our new building on Hamilton Road. And this is a guy in his 20s at our church. How old are you, Matthew? Sorry, I'm going to embarrass you. You're 22? So Daniel, he's 23. Daniel was like 20 years old when they were taken into exile. And Matthew's family is actually Jewish. And so this is the most true, authentic picture of like Daniel going in alone to hold on to faithfulness of God and usher in the day that Jesus would come. Some of you don't know this, but there were magi on their way to see Jesus. I ruined Christmas for a lot of you and told you that the wise men were actually not there until like eight or nine months later because they had to come from really far away. Do you want to know where they had to come from? The east. Do you want to know why the magi were looking for a star to signal the birth of the Messiah? Because Daniel was one of the magi. Daniel set in motion in his day. Prophetic visions of Jesus returning, but also a faithfulness of God that ushered in the coming of Christ. I'm just asking, what if, what if the next generation is supposed to rise up and usher in Jesus returning again? 
I'm, I'm not one of those, I'm definitely not a conspiracy theorist. Some of y'all are, and y'all need to stop. <laughs> but what if? He could come back a thousand years from now, but what if our responsibility in our day is to model worship for God that would awaken a generation that's going to literally usher in the final days? If there's anything we get to be a part of as a church, I want to be a part of that. I don't want to do something insignificant that doesn't cost us anything. I want to lay it all down, put all my chips on Jesus, and go, come, Lord. And let our church be found faithful in your sight of being a praying church, of being a worshiping church. So you might be here and be like, what, is this, what does this mean? Does this just mean coming on Sundays? Does this just mean getting into a community group? Does it just mean giving financially? Like, What are you trying to push for? I'm trying to push for the same three things that you just saw in that story. What happened in that story? You saw a rediscovery of the scriptures. You saw a tearing down of idols, or you're going to see that in a big way. And then you saw the renewal of a covenant. And so these are the things that we could talk about as grand things that we're all called to collectively. But I want to ask you the question, in 2022, are you willing to step into all three of these things individually? And I'm going to preach it right at you as fast as I can. Are you ready? Is this helpful? Number one is this, rediscover the scriptures. Rediscover the scriptures. When they found the book of the law in the temple of God, this is so simple, but you need to notice this. The book of the law didn't go anywhere. The book didn't go anywhere. The people's hearts did. And for some of you, the dust that that book was collecting in the temple looks a lot like the dust your Bible collected in 2021. And this year, the call is not just to discover the scriptures, but what does it mean to rediscover the scriptures? It means to open your eyes to what has lost your mind's attention and your heart's affection. I want you to fall in love with the word of God in 2022. I want it to become the focus of your day. I want it to become the meditation of your mind. I literally am dreaming about the day that we look at this more than we look at our phones. And that is a lofty statement for someone who's way too addicted to his phone. I'm in it with you. But what if you rediscovered the scriptures in such a way where you notice I'm falling in love all over again? One of the things I love to do and hate to do at the exact same time is read my old Bibles. I have a teen study Bible that I read throughout high school, and, and, and I say I love it because it's cool to see, like, oh, wow, in the previous season, I made that note on that day, and I put dates and times by different things, but it also makes me so sad because it makes me feel like I had a love and a zeal for the scriptures in a previous season that I don't have anymore. I believe the Holy Spirit can move in your heart to reawaken a love like that to where there will be days in the future where you think about this season and go, I was so in love with the scriptures in that moment. He can do that. And the best way to fall in love with the Bible again is to do it. No one tells you this. Everyone tells you the best way to fall in love with the scriptures again is to read it. That's good. But listening without doing will leave you so frustrated. James tells us that it's when we combine both of those things that we truly walk in obedience to God. So what if it wasn't just a return to reading it? What if it was a gospel-driven effort to actually go, hey, we're supposed to do this stuff. Our lives are supposed to look like the people of God are called to live in this book. And what if we fell in love with the scriptures so much so by the way we are living, by the way we're confessing our sins, by the way we're discovering new things in the truth and we're coming to each other and going, I can't get enough of what God is teaching me through the scriptures. Not to become a bunch of knowledgeable theologians who want to debate things that really don't matter. 
but so that we can become people first, paying attention to what God's doing in the world and discovering that there is no difference between the people written about in this book and us in our day. In fact, if you're reading about the Old Testament, the only difference is the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. And we get an opportunity to step into so much more of God, but we will not do it if we don't rediscover the scriptures. And what I want you to notice is, is the repentance of Josiah. When they rediscover the scriptures, he doesn't, he doesn't even just repent of his own sin. He repents of the generations of sins that have been committed before he's even there. Our ancestors did not do what was written about in this book. I grew up in between two different generations of church. So like childhood was spent in a traditional Southern Baptist church where I got to know and experience that world. And I feel like it's very similar to a lot of you who grew up either traditional Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, some of you Lutheran. Like I, I, I got to know that world. And then in the late 90s, early 2000s, all of these non-denominational church plants started. And, and I got to know, like, oh, wow, you can do church with a guitar? This should be a, is that a sin? Um, like, I don't, I don't, I, I was like, that, that was my formation. But the early days, I can remember our pastor who baptized me. He's an amazing man. He's actually in his 90s, and he leads a Bible study that my dad's a part of. I'm so grateful for him. But the formation of my mind was, this is where people go to hear someone talk about living away that no one in here is really interested in living. We're really just thinking about where we're going to eat after this. And then I got to watch that morph into a non-denominational form that over time was, was so great at the beginning, but over time became more about a production and a show than the scriptures. So I got to see both of those worlds. And I feel like a part of ACC's role in our day is to repent of generations in the church and go, God, we are sorry that this word was used as a weapon and legalism to tell people how, what they were supposed to do, but we're also sorry that we moved on from this word and tried to provide shows that people would attend. And what if we repented of both and in a way that only God can do, we set the scriptures as the point, the scriptures as the source, the scriptures as the place that we rediscover our love for God. And if you're doing that individually and I'm doing it individually and they're doing it individually and it's happening in ACC youth and it's happening with our college students and it's happening with older generations and people just being born, oh my goodness, what could God build here? But we're gonna rediscover the scriptures. That's number one. Number two, this is the painful one. Tear down idols. Tear down idols. So the first time I read Josiah's story, I was like, I could not stop reading it because the violent account of how he tears down idols will take your breath away, especially the account in 2 Chronicles. When Josiah tears down idols, he doesn't go, hey, get rid of all the places where we worshiped other gods and let's worship our God. He targets idolatry and goes after it in such a way that sometimes look like violence. If you're still in 2 Kings 23, go to verse 4 and let me just sprint through this description. The king ordered Hilkiah, once again, Jeremiah's dad, the high priest, the priest next in rank, and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took away the ashes to Bethel. 
He did away with the idolatrous priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and on those around Jerusalem, those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and moon, to the constellations and to all the starry hosts. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned it there. He ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes that were in the temple of the Lord, the quarters where women did weaving for Asherah. Josiah brought all the priests from the towns of Judah and desecrated the high places. From Jeba to Beersheba, where priests had burned incense, he broke down the gateway at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the city governor, which was on the left of the city gate. Although the priests of the high places did not serve at the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, they ate unleavened bread with their fellow priests. He's getting rid of people who ate with people who were idolatrous. He desecrated Topeth which was in the valley of Ben-Hanom, so that no one could use it to sacrifice their son or daughter in the fire to Molech. He removed from the entrance to the temple of the Lord the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. They were in the court near the room of an official named Nathan Melech. Josiah then burned the chariots dedicated to the sun. He pulled down the altars of the kings of Judah had erected on the roof near the upper room of Ahaz, and the altars Manasseh had built in the two courts of the temple of the Lord. He removed them from there, smashed them to pieces, and threw the rubble into the Kidron Valley. The king also desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem on the south of the hill of corruption, the one Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the vile goddess of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the vile god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the people of Ammon. Josiah smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles and covered the sites with human bones. Even the altar at Bethel, the high place by Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who had caused Israel to sin, even that altar and high place he demolished. He burned the high place and ground it to powder and burned the Asherah pole also. Can you see how far and wide the idolatry had spread in Israel and how targeted and violent and offensive Josiah is to tear down idols? And as I read it, you're kind of getting pumped up like, oh my goodness, this guy is a bad man. He is, he is, whoa. And you get excited, right? I wish you would get that excited about destroying your own idols and stand between your worship of God. Because here's what we do. We don't do idol destruction. We do idol management. And we say things in our community groups like, yeah, I'm just really struggling with this right now. And I'm just, you know, I'm under a noose of I'm struggling. And I just, I wish I could, listen, you treating it like it's a struggle is the reason why it still exists. We've got to go to our idols with a level of violence and intention that goes thus far and no further. I'm not accepting this anymore. I will do whatever it takes to make sure this part of my life is destroyed. And sometimes tearing down an idol looks like tearing away a relationship. Whether that's with an individual or with your phone or with a habit, tearing away is what it means to tear down. And some of you in 2021, you held on so tightly to your idols that there's no way for me even right now to get you to see that this is what stands between your true worship of God. And if a generation is going to notice the type of worship that we're modeling, it's not that they're all going to stand in here and watch how high we raise our hands. They're going to watch us during the week and more is caught than is taught. You can say whatever you want to say every night like I do at bedtime and Bible story time, but they watched you all day. They heard what you said. They saw how you responded. 
They notice that you bring them here once a month. They notice that. So what happens over time is our idols end up taking over what we're intended to pass down to the next generation instead of a level of worship to God that looks like you are who you say you are. And the cost is high, but watch this. Idol destruction in the Christian life doesn't just look like targeting and eliminating what doesn't please God. It looks like enjoying God more than those things. This is what no one tells you. You hear a, you hear a word like that and you're like, ow. That hurts. Yeah, I need to remove idols. But no one knows how. The how is enjoy God more than that. And that fire of enjoying God will burn away your desire for that thing. This is the fight. The fight is for worship. Not for some kind of legalistic approach to getting rid of everything that might displease God. And it begins with a contrite heart. We got to rediscover the scriptures. We got to tear down idols. And number three, and I'm done. Renew the covenant. Renew the covenant. This is the best one. There's so many moments like this one that Josiah is having in the Old Testament. If you read it, it happens with Joshua, it happens with Moses, it happens with many kings that want to get the people together and, and rededicate themselves to actually being the people of God as they were called to be. But here's the problem. The covenants that God made in the Old Testament were covenants of mercy, but they were covenants that called the people of God to adhere to laws and rules and restrictions to stand out as the holy people of God on planet earth. And no matter how many times they did a recommitment of their recommitment of their recommitment, the people of God always fall away. And we're not here today talking about renewing the covenant of God in the Old Testament. As great as those covenants were, Hebrews tells us that we are in the new covenant where no longer do we come before God and tell him all that we're going to do to keep our end of the bargain. Now we come to God and acknowledge that there is nothing more that needs to be done and thank him and respond to the fact that Jesus' blood bridged the gap between us and God and our acknowledgement of him and enjoyment of him and worship of him is the Christian life. So Matt was singing that new song that we started today with, Son of Suffering Today. I had nothing for this point. I just knew God wanted me to say it. And I have one thing. Renewal in the church happens where revival and reformation come together. Revival is a return to the Holy Spirit. Reformation is a return to the scriptures. When they happen simultaneously, it leads to renewal. And so I believe that that's what happened in Josiah's day. I believe that's what could happen in our day, but you need both. You need the scriptures and you need the Holy Spirit. That's what I had. But then Matt was up here and he was singing that song where it says, your blood still speaking. And I was like, that's so weird. Blood talking. Wait, I think that's in the Bible. And I was like, oh yeah, Hebrews. Blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And so I opened my Bible to it and started reading and I was like, this is the new covenant. This is what we're called to renew. Listen to Hebrews 12. You don't gotta turn there, just look at it on the screen. The writer says, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged no further a word to be spoken because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches this mountain, they must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. This is the covenant that God made with Moses. Do you know the people told Moses to be quiet? So like, if you keep talking, we're all gonna die. You just go talk to God over there. Even if an animal touches this mountain, Mount Sinai, it will be done away with. They were afraid, they were trembling. But here's what Hebrews says, you have come to Mount Zion, 
to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of what? A new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? This is a sobering reminder. It's a reminder that the new covenant gives us access to God, but it's sobering because it's like, you're here. You're hearing this message. And I, I believe God's doing some, gonna do something powerful at the 11, but I just wanna be straight up with y'all. I have never sensed the Holy Spirit so heavy on something going out from my mouth than this talk today but you're responsible. You're accountable for what you're hearing right now. And the writer's going, if they got punished and they saw that, how much more are you responsible with what has been revealed to you in Jesus? You cannot afford to leave this space and go back to a half-hearted commitment to a God who gave it all for you. So let's start 2022, let's lay it on the line and let's build a generation of Jesus followers here give it all. They're not perfect, but they are surrendered. And maybe Daniels are going to rise up. And in our day, we'll see something unlike anything that's ever been seen before. That's the prayer. That's the dream. Put your notes away as quietly as you can. Let's stand up at whatever location you're at. Stand up with us. I want to pray for you. And then we're going to sing. And we're going to sing these words like prophecies over our church. I know I went long, really long. But if you're here and you're disconnected from this moment, you can just go. Because I, I just know the Holy Spirit is moving right now. I want to pray and I want to ask you, would you join in on this prayer that God would do what we are about to sing? Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, allow this word to go out and pierce hearts. Allow this word to illuminate the spaces in our lives that you are drawing attention to. God, I know you're moving in this place and I know that there's a war for people's hearts and minds right now where they want to hold on to what they've been holding on to. There's a hesitation. God, would you just unlock their hands and show them by the power of the Holy Spirit that your way is better. Your way is better even when it's painful. Your way is better even when we don't understand. Your way is better even when we give something up and we don't know how you're gonna provide it on the back end. Your way, your way is better even when you make us wait. God, we love you and we wait for you. We ask you in Jesus' name to cause a generation of Jesus followers to spring up because of this church. Not because of this church, but because of Jesus who's filling this church by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, do it. Do it in a way that only you can. These songs are yours. Our lives are yours right here, right now. In Jesus' name, amen.